Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church podcast. We are so glad you are joining us midweek. Today's message is part 12 in Pastor DJ Ritchie's Sunday evening series through the book of Galatians. This message was given on December 6th, 2020. We want to encourage you to join us in person at one or all of our services. Our doors are open Sunday mornings at 1030, Sunday nights at 7, and Wednesdays at 645. If you have not yet subscribed, please do. When you do, you will receive a notification each time we post a new message and will always be up to date. We hope this message would be an encouragement to you as you follow Jesus. So grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4 as we go once again back to the book of Galatians. We took a break for a few weeks in the middle, but we are going to look at uh, the book of Galatians once again. And as you're turning there, Ronald Reagan famously said, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States where men were free. Those words have even greater significance today than when that great President Ronald Reagan spoke them many years ago. We are at a crossroads In our nation, I hope that you are praying daily, fervently for our nation, that we might continue to experience and enjoy the freedoms that allow us to gather without fear of someone coming in. We don't have to hide in worship the way that many of our brothers and sisters do around the world. We don't have to worry about repercussions, not yet, not here yet, although many of our brothers and sisters around the world do. They have Uh, fear not only for loss of liberty, but even some of them for loss of life when they gather together in the name of Jesus Christ. And so our freedom is a very precious thing. It's something that allows us uh, freely to share the gospel, to gather in worship, and to make God's word and his truth known. But I want to talk to you about our spiritual freedom tonight, not just our political freedom. Because while our political freedoms can be taken away, our spiritual freedom cannot. Our spiritual freedom is not something that we received in the bloodstream. We received it by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ and payment for our sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He who never sinned took on the curse. He lived the sinless life under the law of Moses that you and I could never live, and he died uh, as the God-man in our place, the sinless sacrifice for all sin. And he rose again victorious over sin, over death, over the grave, over Satan. And he extends that freedom to us. But while that freedom cannot be lost, it can certainly be forgotten. While it... uh, can't be taken from us. You'd have to get up to heaven and pluck us out of the hand of God who can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, Paul says in Romans chapter 8. Nevertheless, as uh, 
was it Mark Twain who said the person who doesn't read is no better off than the person who can't? The person who doesn't have freedom is not much different from the person who has it but doesn't live in it, doesn't experience it, doesn't claim it. And so we as brothers and sisters in Christ want to experience the freedom that Jesus Christ has purchased for us. And that's Paul's heart here in Galatians chapter 4. Now as we turn back to Galatians, uh, tonight we're going to look at freedom in Christ. We're going to see what that basis is and we're going to see where Paul takes us as we talk about the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Let me remind you, since it has been a few weeks, since we are at the midpoint of the book, what this book is all about. This was likely Paul's very first letter that he ever wrote. There's some debate on that. Some think it's the second or third book, uh, first or third book. Uh, it was one of the earliest, is generally agreed upon. And, and I gave you months ago the reasons why I take the early uh, position that it was his first letter, uh, most likely written to the churches that he planted in southern Galatia. And this is all about living the resurrected life. It's all about living out the gospel by which all of us are saved. And what does that mean? It means living in light of the realities of the gospel. And so we've seen that there are four major sections in this book. Paul is writing to confront this false teaching, this legalism that has come in, this false gospel that's come in. And so Paul is going to walk us through four major themes in this book in order to confront that false gospel, those false systems of belief, which all in some way go back to legalism, something that we add to the gospel. And so uh, we've already talked about the first section, which is favor, living uh, to please God, not please men. Uh, we've talked about faith. Uh, faith is living uh, not just in God's favor, but by faith in Christ. So when we talk about God's favor, we're really asking, who are we trying to please? When we talk about living by faith, we're, we're asking the question, who am I or how am I trying to live the Christian life? And then we've just uh, concluded the third uh, section uh, which is, uh, excuse me, we're just starting the third section, which is the section on freedom. Now, when we talk about faith, uh, the key verse for all of this is Galatians chapter 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, who gave himself for me. And Paul takes us in that transition from favor to faith, that because of God's grace, because of his favor, we need to live to please him. And the only way that we're able to do that is by not focusing on what we do for him, but keeping our focus set on what he has done for us. And it's only when we do that that we're able to experience this next key theme, the freedom that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Now, let's, uh, I told you to turn to chapter but let's just back up just a few verses into chapter 3 uh, because there's, you'll notice as we look at these uh, divisions in the book that there's an overlap, there's a pivot point, a transition. And so there are a few verses every time Paul shifts gears where he, he passes the ball or he hands off the ball uh, to the next theme. And so uh, as he wraps up talking about faith at the end of chapter 3, he's also beginning to introduce to us this idea of freedom. So look again with me at uh, chapter 3, verse 26 through 29. He says, For ye are all the children of God by faith 
in Christ Jesus. For as many as you as have been baptized into Christ, and again, we uh, talked about that as being spiritual baptism. We understood that as being spiritual baptism. Have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So being spiritually baptized into Christ brings with it the privileges of God's family. That's going to be key to understanding what Paul begins to develop in chapter 4. It means that we experience the unity and equality of Christ's body, and it means that we talk about the blessings of Abraham's heritage. That we are not Israel as the church. We don't need to be Israel because if we're in Christ, we experience the blessings that God has promised to Christ as the King of Israel by being in Christ. And so we get to experience those promises as well. And that brings us from God's favor uh, to living by faith to living in the freedom that Christ has purchased. And the big question that we're going to ask ourselves over the course of this section is, how am I experiencing liberty in my life? Am I experiencing the freedom that Jesus Christ has purchased for me? I must live, as Paul is going to teach us, I must live as a child of God in Christ, not as a slave to law, not as a slave to ritual or legalism, not as a slave to those who are not the true God. That is the big idea of this section. I have to live as a child of God. If I want to experience the freedom of God, that means I've got to understand that I have been brought into the family of God. Again, chapter 3, verse 26, ye are all the children of God, the sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And so in chapter 4, Paul is going to take his focus back on this idea of family and this idea that we are part of God's family, that we are brought into the family through Jesus Christ, the family of God. And because of the fatherhood of God, we can and should and must experience the freedom of Christ. Now, we're going to look today at the first 11 verses of Galatians chapter 4. And there are really three main things that I want to draw your attention to tonight as we go through these verses. Uh, The first thing is that the fatherhood of God brings freedom from spiritual bondage. How do I know that I have freedom from spiritual bondage? Because God is now my father. Look at what he says in verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 4. He says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. Now, there are two types of bondage, two types of spiritual bondage that Paul wants us to realize we have been freed from. when we're, The moment we're brought into the family of God, we're free from these types of bondage. The first type is the type we talk, have talked about in the last section. Freedom from the bondage, the spiritual bondage of the law. Now this uh, law, Paul says back in chapter 3, he calls it a schoolmaster. It was our teacher, but he reminds us that we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Once we recognize our sin before a righteous and holy God, we recognize that we are guilty before God, that we are uh, under condemnation. As Paul says in Ephesians 2, we were children of wrath, just like the others. 
And we, we were by nature children of wrath, Paul says. And yet, because of God's great grace that he poured out on the cross by pouring his wrath out on his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, Jesus shed his blood in death for us, uh, paying for our sin. And then he, to, as evidence that the father accepted that payment, he literally physically raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The moment that we recognize that Jesus paid for our sin and we call upon Jesus and we receive him, receive him as our savior, receive his payment for our sin, place our faith and our trust in him. We have become the children of God and we are no longer under a schoolmaster, Paul says. Now, this type of bondage, it it, it is a bondage. Paul describes it as spiritual bondage, but he's speaking of biblical worship. This is past biblical worship. This was biblical worship for those who lived before Messiah came, before Jesus died for our sins and rose again. This was how people worshipped under the Old Covenant, but that part of worship has been concluded. There is no way we can be under the law now because the righteous requirements have been fulfilled. Jesus Christ has completed the law. He has fulfilled the law. Jesus said, don't think I've come to destroy it. I came to fulfill it. And he did fulfill it. He met all of the righteous requirements of the law through his obedience And so we are no longer under the law. Christ has fulfilled that law. But notice there's another type of spiritual bondage that people are living under. And he describes it here in a couple of different ways. He describes it uh, in these first verses as the elements of the world. Even so, verse 3, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. Now, this is one of those passages in Galatians that is very controversial. There's a lot of debate over exactly what Paul is talking about here. And some people believe that he's just talking about the law again, that he's repeating himself. I don't believe that. And and there are a couple reasons that I don't believe that. And they're textual reasons. They're contextual reasons. Now, I've told you before that there are two key elements of Bible interpretation, and they go hand in hand. We say uh, many times the first thing you need to do is look at the context. Look at the context. Look at the context. But actually, that's the second thing that you need to do. That's 1B. But 1A is you have to look at the dictionary. You have to understand what the words mean before you can understand what they mean in context. And so there are some words that the reason that we talk past each other when we come to a, a passage of Scripture and, and we're both arguing from the same passage of Scripture, different theological points, many times, not always, but many times, the difference is a difference in definition, right? A Roman Catholic priest is going to use many of the same terms that I use, but when he talks about God's grace, he means something very different than, uh, than I mean when I'm preaching from God's Word. He, he has a, an idea, a concept of grace that has uh, human tradition brought into it, that grace is something that comes through the church, that grace is facilitated by the church. And uh, that's not how the Apostle Paul presents grace at all. That's not how the New Testament presents God's grace at all. So we can use the same terms, we can use the same words, we can mean very different things by them. However, sometimes the confusion is a word has two different meanings. And then we get into real conversation, to put it nicely. Then we get into some real debate over what uh, the author is talking about. If a word can have more than one meaning, then you have to rely on the context to get the right meaning of that word. And so let's look at the context 
of Paul's writing. Go with me back for a moment, back to chapter 1, verse uh, 4. While you're turning there, I'll, I'll read the introduction again. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God, the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Grace be to you, peace from God the Father, from our Lord Jesus Christ, who, verse 4, gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil ward, uh, world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, in these few verses, we have an outline of the entire book. We have the focus on God the Father and, and receiving God's grace. That's the first section. Then we move into faith. Faith in what? Faith in what Christ has done for us, not in what we do for Him. What has Christ done for us? He gave Himself for our sins. Why did He do it? To deliver us. That's freedom. To deliver us from this present evil world. And why did He do it? Well, ultimately, verse 5, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. To bring glory to the Father. That's fruitfulness. That's fruitfulness. That's the fourth section that we'll get to. So in these first few verses, Paul gives us an outline for this entire book. This is going to be about, we're going to talk about God's grace. We're going to talk about living by faith in what Jesus has done for us, not on what we do for him. We're going to talk about being freed, being delivered from something. And we're going to talk about giving God all the glory and living a life that glorifies God. That's fruitfulness. But what are we being delivered from here in verse 4? From this present evil world. See, the spiritual bondage that he's now talking about is not just spiritual bondage from the law of God. He's talking about a different kind of spiritual bondage. In fact, we see that in chapter 4 as well. Look at chapter 4, uh, verse 8. How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods? But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage see the bondage of verse 3 is the bondage of verse 9 it's the bondage of chapter 1 verse 4 it's the bondage of the evil dominion the principalities the powers that control this world and God, and Paul describes them here not as a schoolmaster he's already described the law as a schoolmaster he describes them here as tutors in governors, those which by nature are no gods, weak and beggarly elements. See, as the schoolmaster speaks of biblical worship now fulfilled under the Old Covenant, here Paul talks about pagan worship in the present evil age. Satanic control over the world prior to and apart from Christ. And make no mistake, you are under one rule or the other. You are either living in the freedom of the kingdom of God's dear Son, or as Colossians 1 says, you're still trapped in that kingdom of darkness. Or you're not a prisoner of it as, as God's child, but how many Christians act as if they are? The chains have been unlocked. The, the jail cell is open, but many times Christians, we just are so comfortable in that prison cell. And those chains are so pretty. Diamond-encrusted chains that hold us bind us to the prison of this kingdom of darkness, this present evil age. Satan is in control of this present evil age. We see that in Luke chapter 4. We mentioned this morning the temptation of Jesus Christ for 40 days. 
The devil, Luke 4 tells us, the devil tempted Jesus. We only have three of those temptations highlighted for us. But one of them, uh, chapter uh, 4 of Luke, verse 5, the devil taking him, Jesus, up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Incredible supernatural power that the ancient dragon possesses and wields. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me. And to whomsoever I will, I give it. See, Satan is the god of this world. He is uh, the prince of the power, prince in the power of the air, the spirit who's now at work in the sons of disobedience. He is, as Jesus Christ called him, the prince of this world. And if you are not living in the freedom of Jesus Christ, whether you believe in him or not, whether you believe in Satan or not, you are living under his authority and under his control. And you can call yourself an atheist, an agnostic. Uh, you can call yourself whatever you like, but if you're not living in the freedom of Jesus Christ, even many times as Christians, uh, we enslave ourselves under the elements of the world, the ungodly system. John 16, verse 5, But now I go my way to him that sent me. None of you asketh me whither goest thou, because I have said these things unto you. Sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Jesus said, it's expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. We talked about these verses in depth a few months ago. Verse 8, and when he is come, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the Prince of this world is judged. When Paul stood on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17 in Athens and he was debating the philosophers of this day, Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, Acts 17 verse 22, I perceive that in all things ye too are superstitious. It's very interesting when you look at that word superstitious in the Greek because you can see when you look at that Greek word, and, and I encourage you to Check out a interlinear. You can, there's a very easy interlinear Bible to use on BibleHub.com. Uh, you can see the Greek words, the Hebrew words. You can see their meanings. It's very, very simple and easy to use. You'll see, though, that in that Greek word for superstitious is the word demon. The word demon. What he literally says to them in the Greek is, I see that you're worshiping a lot of demon spirits. See, the pagans worshiped demons. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.20, I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. 1 John 5.19, and we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. The whole world lieth in wickedness. It's controlled, all of it, by Satan. Outside of those of us who have been freed, if you have not been freed by God's grace, you are a prisoner of this present evil age. You are a prisoner of the elements of the world. The way the world is set up to work. It's set up as a world of darkness. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you he hath quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, our lifestyle, in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, 
even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul says, listen, the whole world is set up to encourage you to sin. The whole world is set up to encourage you to obsess about and devote yourself to the fulfillment of the lust of the flesh. And we don't all pursue the same lust of the flesh, but we all pursue the lust of the flesh. We are all uh, brought under. If we're not using the mind of Christ, if we're not submitting our mind to the Word of God, we're all brought under a system, a world, a course of this world, the world system that is set up to make our minds, Paul says in Ephesians 2, think things that we shouldn't think and think in ways that we shouldn't think. And it should not shock us, although it does disappoint us when we look around and we see the world as it is and we see the darkness and we see the dysfunction and we see the lies and the corruption because apart from Jesus Christ, the elements of the world are all designed and lined up to keep people in spiritual bondage to the God of this age and his principalities and his powers and his rulers of the darkness of this world, his spiritual wickedness in high places. See, this word elements, it it literally means fundamentals, uh, the basic components of a philosophy or of a structure. That's a very philosophical sounding word. Uh, You know it's philosophical when it has the word philosophy in in the definition, right? Cosmo means uh, an ordered system, like the universe creation. Satan, understand though, Satan rules this system. The world is set up to get people to sin. The world is set up to trap people in sin. And it's not that Satan controls every single thing that every single person does. Satan doesn't have that much power. He wants some people to think he does. He does not have that much power. But it does mean that he oversees the, the way that the system works so that people are encouraged to get trapped by their own lusts and their own sin and their own desires. And so when we get caught up in this system, even as Christians, we can get caught up in this system, the uh, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life that John talks about in First John chapter 2. We can be tempted to say the devil made me do it, but, but we, don't have that, we don't have that card to play. That's, that's not true. It's not even really true for those who are unsaved because even though the spirit, is, the, the spirit of evil is at work, Uh, They still have human responsibility, and it's their own flesh and sin that Satan is luring them away with. The fatherhood of God, though, brings freedom from that type of spiritual bondage. And if you call God your father, and you can call your father if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, God is your father. And when we call God our father, we don't need to live in fear of, in bondage to, the elementary principles of this world, the weak and beggarly elements, and Paul makes sure we understand them which by nature are no gods. They call themselves gods, but they are not gods. Please understand, as, as big of an issue as atheism is in our world today, atheism is not Satan's endgame. It's a distraction. Satan doesn't want people not to believe in God. He wants people to worship him and to worship his uh, antichrist who is coming. The spirit of the antichrist, First John 4 says, is already present in the world. And so, Satan wants pagan worship, and there is a lot of pagan worship even in America to this day. But whether you believe in Satan or not, if you're not living in the freedom of Jesus Christ, if God is not your father, or if you're not living as if God is your father, you are in bondage to the devil. Number two, 
The fatherhood of God is only possible, Paul reminds us, through the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's only possible through what Jesus has done. I can't make myself God's son. I can't. I can't be good enough. I can't give enough. I can't earn enough to earn the right to call myself a child of God. Do you understand what people are really saying when they think that just by being a good person that God has to let them into his house, into his kingdom? Just because I'm, God, I think I'm a good enough person, God, you, you better have a, a place for me in your house. No, God's house is for God's children. God's house is for God's family. Now, God would love to bring you into his family, but there's only one way, there's only one truth, there's only one life, and that's Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul says here in verse 4 of Galatians 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, at the right moment, in the right time, God sent forth his Son. Please understand, God sent his Son. He didn't make his Son. Jesus Christ did not begin when the Holy Spirit conceived him in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. And He sent Jesus Christ. And Jesus humbled Himself to become a baby in the womb. And that is a baby in the womb, make no mistake. And why did He do it? Made of a woman, made under the law, verse 5, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. See, let me say three things about this finished work of Christ. Number one, it's God's perfect timing. It came in God's perfect timing. My timing would have been a lot sooner. But it was God's perfect timing. Messiah's arrival was neither too early uh, nor was it too late. Mark 1.15 says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. We mentioned Daniel chapter 9 this morning. I'm not going to take the time to go to Daniel chapter 9, but Daniel chapter 9 lays out a prophecy and it gives us the exact date on the calendar for when Messiah would be cut off, when he would lay down his life for his people. And we know from other passages of Scripture, not just for Israel, but for all of us, for the whole world. There was no excuse for them to miss Messiah. It was, the date was spelled out in the prophecy of Daniel. Messiah's arrival was neither early nor late. It was God's perfect timing. Number two, it was God's perfect plan. And what is God's perfect plan? To redeem man, God had to become man. God could be our substitute by becoming a man. And the Son of God, God of very God Himself, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, yet that Creator, God, Jesus Christ, became a man in order to fulfill the law so that He could die in our place and so that He could redeem us, purchase us back. And through the perfect timing and the perfect plan, God has created the perfect family. To become God's children, we must be made like His Son. And so how does that happen? It happens through the work of Jesus Christ. Our adoption is now secure in heaven. But notice this, it's not yet received on earth. Now, our life is hid with Christ on high, Colossians 3 tells us. But notice that what Romans chapter 8 says. In fact, you may want to go ahead and jump over to Romans chapter 8. Keep a finger in Galatians chapter 4. Look with me at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 says in verse... 
14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. But then notice also in verse 23, well, backing up to verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. In other words, we are 100% God's children. Don't, don't miss that. And the evidence of that is that God has placed the spirit of adoption inside of our hearts. But the spirit of adoption in our hearts is the guarantee until we receive the physical reality of the adoption. Gigi and I have some friends who adopted uh, two children from Russia. And they had to fly over to Russia, and they got those boys, not at the exact same time, but they got those boys as babies. And now, when they brought that child onto the airplane, that child was their child. But that child was not home yet. That child had never been in their home yet. That child had never uh, uh, been in their room and, been in, and enjoyed the, the, the family time together. They were family, 100% family, but they're in the plane flying over the ocean coming to the United States, and that's not a perfect analogy, but it's the best one I could think of. We, we, are, we are the children of God 100%, but we have not experienced the full rights of adoption yet because we are not yet redeemed. See, when I stand in glory, with, I, I'm not going to have a sin nature anymore. I'm not going to worry about temptation. I'm not, there's not going to be a struggle with, with temptation anymore. I'm going to be like Jesus, I'm going to be like Jesus. You know where I see that? First John chapter 3. When we see him, we'll be like him, for we will see him as he is. And 1 John 3, 3 says, everyone who has that hope in him purifies himself. The fatherhood of God. I can call my, my, uh, my father God. I can call God my father only because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. It is an amazing grace that he's given to us, received by faith. But notice what comes next here in verses 6 through 7. The fatherhood of God brings freedom from spiritual bondage. The fatherhood of God is only possible through the finished work of Jesus Christ, but the fatherhood of God is affirmed by the Holy Spirit. Keep a finger in Romans 8. Let's turn back to Galatians 4 for a second. Verse 6 says, And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now, some of you have worked in a family business. Maybe it's not, not been your family business, but it's been someone else's family business. And you understand maybe that there's a difference between um, you can be both a servant and a son at the same time when you work in the family business. In the family of God, we are not a servant under the Father. We have full rights of sonship. But we are also servants in the kingdom of God under God the Son. So there are passages of Scripture that say, hey, listen, you are, you are the slave of Jesus Christ. And you need to work and serve Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. But there are other passages that say, when it comes to the Father, listen, I'm not a slave. I'm a son. I have the rights of sonship. I have the rights of a child of God, the spirit of his son. Go back with me again to Romans chapter 8. Verse 15, you have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, we're free, 
but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself, and that should be translated Himself, uh, beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. See, the Spirit of His Son has two critical roles in affirming our uh, our adoption. First of all, Paul says in uh, here in Romans and also in verse 6 of Galatians chapter 4 that the Spirit works in our heart. The Spirit is working in our heart. It's because of the Holy Spirit in our heart that we're able to cry out, Abba, Father. Now, many people struggle with this. Many people struggle with really experiencing a father son a father daughter relationship with god and let me give you three reasons that many struggle with the fatherhood of god number one they don't have the spirit they're not actually saved there are many people who grew up in church maybe they prayed a prayer they raised their hand they were told hey you're a child of god maybe they even got wet in a baptismal but they never really understood the gospel they never really responded to the gospel they they responded to what everybody else responded to maybe they saw their friend raise a hand they raised a hand maybe they were at camp and there was really uh, an emotional time and and they had some emotional experience but they never really made a decision to call on jesus christ for their forgiveness for they, they never repented of their sin jesus said in luke 24 hey you need to preach repentance and remission of sins so many people struggle with the fatherhood of god because they don't actually have the spirit and so uh, Romans 8 verse 9 reminds us if ye are not in the flesh but in the spirit if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you now if any man have not the spirit of Christ he is none of his and so in 2nd Corinthians 13 Paul urges us to examine ourselves see whether you are in the faith test yourself some people struggle because they don't have the spirit some people though number two struggle because they don't understand the spirit and I think this is where uh, many people in uh, church today are at. Now, again, there are many in church. Uh, I don't know people's hearts. I, I, don't, I can't look into anyone's heart to know if anyone's actually saved, especially if I don't know them well or if there's not much, if any, fruit. But I have experienced this myself, and, I, and being in ministry for a while, I know that there are many people that there are genuinely saved. They responded to the gospel, but they just don't understand the ministry of the Spirit. They're not adequately schooled. They haven't spent enough time in the Word of God. And, and we need the doctrine and the reproof and the correction and the instruction and in righteousness if we're going to be mature and complete, Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, 16, or 2 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. They don't understand the Spirit. And then there are some, and uh, sadly this has been my testimony at different times in my life, some don't have the Spirit, some don't understand the Spirit, but others, they simply don't obey the Spirit. They're, they're living in disobedience. They're not always submitting. And so Paul tells us to grieve not the Spirit. Paul says quench not the Spirit. Friend, if you're grieving the Holy Spirit, if you're quenching the Holy Spirit, you're going to struggle with the experience of God as your Father because you're going to be under Hebrews chapter um, uh, 12 tells us you're going to be under God's discipline. And many people, they feel like God's not my father because they're under the discipline of God. And they're not experiencing the joy of being a child. They're experiencing the discipline of 
of being a child. So I don't know where you're at in that. I hope that you uh, have the Spirit. If you're, if you're truly saved, you, you do. I hope that you understand the ministry of the Spirit, and I hope that you are obeying the Spirit, that you're walking in the Spirit. We'll talk more about that when we get to chapter 5. But understand this, not only does the Spirit work in our heart, but as we close tonight, the Spirit guarantees our inheritance. The Spirit is the one who guarantees the fact that we are no more a servant but a son. You are no more a servant. If you are in Jesus Christ, you are not trying to earn anything from God. You're not trying to work for anything. You are a son or a daughter of God. You have the freedom of being a child of God. And it's a freedom that we so often take for granted. It's a freedom that we so often don't experience because of our lack of understanding, our lack of faith. Would you go with me to prayer as we close? Father, thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption. God, it's because of the Spirit's work in our heart that we can call you our Father, our Daddy, our Abba. Father, I pray wherever we are tonight in our walk with you, God, that as the Spirit is working in our hearts right now, God, that we would respond to the Spirit's call. God, maybe there's somebody here, somebody watching tonight. They've never truly trusted in Christ for their salvation. They've, they've never really understood what the gospel is all about. They don't have the Spirit, God, but the Spirit is working in their heart. God, I pray that they would call upon Jesus Christ, repent of their sin, turn to Jesus, receive the free gift of salvation. God, maybe there's somebody here. God, they just need a deeper understanding of what it means to be your son, what it means to be your daughter. And God, I pray that you would help them to grow in the knowledge of having you as their father, of how high and deep and wide the love of our Father is for us. And Father, if there's somebody here tonight or somebody watching, there's something in their life, God, they are not submitting to, God. I pray that as the Spirit brings conviction, they would not grieve Him, that they would not quench His convicting work. But God, I pray that they would be submissive, that they'd lay that on the altar and experience the freedom that You've so graciously purchased for us in the cross and the empty tomb. Father, we love You. We thank You. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. What another great message from Pastor DJ. I hope this has found you well and has made an impact on your life in the name of Jesus. If it has, please give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you listen on and share it with a friend so others might be encouraged as well. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior and would like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to hear from you. We hope to see you soon, and until next time, stay faithful.